0: you to take your bibles this morning and turn to matthew the gospel of matthew chapter 7 if you don't have a bible with you this morning there should be one underneath the chair you're sitting in or close to you but turn with me to matthew chapter 7 and let's stand in the honor of the reading of god's word this morning and as you're standing uh we want to welcome this morning gabe shun he's on leave from the military and i know his mother and and john back there they're, they're just beaming to have him home with us so so uh, welcome home gabe we're good 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 to see you here Uh, Matthew chapter 7 so I'll be reading from in verse 13 and 14. Matthew chapter 7 verse 13 says this, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Let's pray together again. Father, as we bow before You, we acknowledge that we are under Your authority and Your Word is here right before us in our hands. We're hearing it. God, You've spoken. Our desire is to live under Your authority, the authority of Your Word. And we pray that the weight of this passage would fall upon us, Lord, and impact our life the way it's intended. For those who are outside the kingdom, we pray that they would enter today. For those of us that are in the kingdom, we pray that we would continue to persevere in faith and walk with You in obedience out of joy and love for what You've done for us in Christ. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. The Sermon on the Mount we've been going through for several months now is in Matthew chapter 5 through 7 in the Gospel of Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. It's a sermon that, that obviously Jesus preached on a mountainside. And on that mountain, really the subject of the whole Gospel of Matthew and the subject of that sermon is the kingdom of God. And when he talks about the kingdom of God, it's not just talking about going to heaven one day, but the kingdom of God is something that's here and now. In fact, Jesus, when He went and preached, He said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is is at hand the kingdom of god had come because the king had come jesus is the king and he reigns as king right now and when he returns every eye shall see that he is king so when he's preaching on the mountainside the promised messiah the promised christ the king the king of kings he's preaching about what it means to be in the kingdom of god this is what life is like in the kingdom of god The Sermon on the Mount, two things I want to say about the Sermon on the Mount quickly. The Sermon on the Mount is a narrow way to live. The Sermon on the Mount is a narrow way to live. What do you mean by that, preacher? Well, I tell you. When you look at the Sermon on the Mount and you read its demands and its clarifications about what the law really looks like inwardly, then it is a narrow thing. It is a fine-tuned thing to live in the kingdom of God. Of God. The Sermon on the Mount is a narrow way to live. It's not a broad way. It's not, it's not how people think about living. The Sermon on the Mount is a narrow way to live. The Sermon on the Mount, secondly, is not merely a nice way to live. There's a lot of people who've looked at Matthew chapter 5-7 through seven, and they've looked at this sermon, they've heard it, people like Gandhi and others who admire the Sermon on the Mount and say wonderful things about its teachings, and agree with much of the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount. But the Sermon on the Mount is not just to be admired. It's to be responded to. It's not merely nice. Well, that's nice. That's a nice way to live. No. There are only two ways to live. Let me take you back a few thousand years to a mountain called Mount Sinai, where our God had come down upon that mountain. And the mountain was quaking. And the people at the foot of the mountain, the Israelites, were terrified because God was giving what? The Ten Commandments and the law. And He said, you can't come up here. Only Moses can come or you will die. But God was giving a law at that time so that they, if they approached, if Israelites approached God through His law, then they could come close to God in His tabernacle. And there he would meet with God's people as represented by the priest. God would graciously later say to them to enter. He would say, here before you is life and death. In Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 19, as part of the law, God would say through Moses later on after he would given the law. Deuteronomy 30 verse 19 says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today. So this is God speaking to his people through Moses. I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day. I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. God says through Moses, to his people, choose life. You've got it set before you. Here's life right here. Life and death, blessing and cursing. Choose life. Two ways to live. But the people rebelled against God's word. And they wound up going into exile and into captivity, if you know the history of God's people. Yet hear the call of God, even in the Old Testament times, again, to enter. To, to take the, the way that leads to life, the, the way of blessing. Ezekiel chapter 33 and other prophets like Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 33 verse 11, God said to them, As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? This is our God. A God who has been spit in the face. He's been rebelled against. He's been gracious to these people. They're they're building a golden calf as He's giving the law, telling them not to commit idolatry. Yet He's so patient with them. And He raises up prophets even in their captivity to say, turn, turn, this is our God. Who's not obligated to say turn. He's not obligated to say enter. But He does. Because He's a gracious God. And a loving God. Then there's this mountain in our text. The nature of God does not change. He's the same in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And here on this mountain in in the New Testament, the Sermon on the Mount, here is our God. And the mountain's not quaking there's no fire and smoke on this mountain. It is God Himself. The Lord Jesus Christ with human legs standing on this mountain has not ceased to be God. And He's speaking. And again, our God is saying, Enter. Choose this way, the way of life and blessing. It's set before you. And He says, if you look at your Bible in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13... Specifically, He says to enter by the narrow gate. So Jesus is saying, enter here. Don't want you going that way. I want you to enter right here. He does not say enter either. Notice what your Bible says. He doesn't say enter either the narrow gate or the broad gate or wide gate. He says just enter the narrow gate. Why is that? Because there are only two ways to live. Here's life set out before you. Choose life and choose to live as as God demands. Or just keep living your life. So he says, enter the narrow gate. He didn't say enter the narrow gate or enter the wide gate. Because guess what? You already went through the wide gate. That's the road you're on now. So he's saying... Come over here, turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways. Why you die, house of Israel, turn. Enter the narrow gate. This is our God. His disposition is that people would repent and come to Him. See, there's no category this morning of indifference or of indecisiveness. Well, let me think about this for a while. And I'm not going to go through the wide gate I might go through the narrow gate. No, you're either, you're either on the wide, you went through the wide gate or, or not. By grace, you've went through the, the narrow gate. When you stand in front of the Lord someday, you can't say, I was thinking about it. I just, the, the whole point is here, is a decision must be made. A choice must be made by the grace of God. To enter the narrow gate. The time for waiting is over. How do you enter the narrow gate? The call to enter then is a call to repent. You've went through the wide gate. You were born that way. You're on a path to destruction. So when the Lord says here in this first word of your Bible, are you looking at it? Verse 13, what's the very first word? Enter. This is God. The same God who spoke on Mount Sinai, the same God who spoke through the prophet Ezekiel, the same God who stands on the mountainside saying, enter, repent, turn around. You're going the wrong way. Turn around. You believe that Jesus is the promised king? You do well. The the demons believe and shudder. But they don't follow Jesus. This is not an easy believism. Yes, I believe these things. For the devil himself believes all that much. It's a repentant faith. It's the kind of faith that says, I don't want this life anymore. I want to follow Jesus. So it means to become poor in spirit, as he says in the Beatitudes, and recognize that you're you're desperately lost without Christ. And that Jesus died for your sins on the cross. So, before I even launch into the thrust of this, enter, repent, repent, Turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Be sure that you have. The rest, the thrust of these two verses seems to be taken up by answering this question Why should I enter the narrow gate? Why should I not just continue on this way? After all, God loves everybody. That sort of thinking, consciously or subconsciously, permeates our thinking. Why should I enter the narrow gate? And there's two reasons, and it's in these two verses. Number one, a sinful man's way to live leads to destruction. One of the things Jesus is pleading here and He's saying, enter, He's saying, a sinful man's way to live leads to destruction. You see that in verse 13? Man's way to live is the blind, natural way. You ever ask somebody for directions before? And maybe their response has been, hey, you just go this way, you can't miss it. You just you can't miss it, it's right there, you just can't miss it, it's so obvious. You just go over there, there's a great big sign that says, go right here. Well, that's what the wide gate's like. Even a blind man could find it. It's a natural way. You can't miss it, in fact, you're on it. As I've already said, the wide gate is man's default position. You were born having entered through the wide gate already. You were born into the world this way, on the road, on this wide road, this populated road that leads to hell. It's the blind, natural way. You don't even realize you're on it, don't even care. Man's way to live is the blind, natural way. Man's way to live is the easy way. Notice what your Bible says. The ESV translation, English Standard Version says, for the gate is wide. So this is the reason we're asking the question this way. Why should I enter by the narrow gate? You see the word for? F-O-R. He's saying enter the narrow gate. Here's why. For the gate is wide. It's the blind natural way. What else does it say? And the way, here's another reason you should enter the narrow gate. The way is easy when you go through the wide gate. See it? The way is easy. Man's way to live is the easy way. Just at the, yesterday was my son, Micaiah's birthday, and we were down at the lake and uh, up north and, and fishing because he wanted to go fishing on his birthday, so I took him. And a, and a young man walked up to us doing a survey that was a biologist in school and uh, in college, And he did this survey. He said, you answered the questions about the fish you've caught today and so forth. And so I did about the very few fish we've caught. And as we got done with the survey, it took just a few minutes, he said, do you have any questions for me? And I said, well, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And he wasn't quite expecting that. (laughs) And his response was, well, I guess I don't really think about that. much and i said well don't you think you ought to i mean look at this look up here at the, you know he was kind of stunned i said look up at the stars in the sky i mean not the stars look at the cloud you know look at all this i didn't just get here look at my fishing rod right here do you think this fishing rod somebody had to put that together you think the world just got put together you know just said, well I, I i every once in a while i do think about some of that but Micaiah told me later, he said, Dad, I don't think he really wanted to talk. I said, Son, you perceived correctly he didn't. Blind, natural, wanting to live the easy way. Because if you do admit even that there's a Creator, that doesn't mean you're going to heaven. A lot of people believe that there's a God. But if you do at least get that far along by God's grace... Then, what does this God demand of me? You see, the the, the wide gate that leads the e- is the easy way because it just kind of suppresses the knowledge of God and it makes no demands on your life. There's no repentance required. It's the easy way. You just kind of just live life the way you want to and hope it all pans out in the end. It's the easy way. It's the easy life. Man's way to live is the blind natural way. It's the easy way tells us in Proverbs 14, verse 12 and verse 25, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. It reminds me of the day of the judges in the Old Testament, that wicked time in Israel where wickedness had reached its depth. Why were there such unthinkable depths of wickedness in the book of Judges in the day of the Judges? Over and over you hear this phrase in Judges several times. In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. They were doing things the easy way. What do I think is right? What's good for you is good for you. And what's good for me is good for me. And as long as I don't hurt anybody, you don't hurt anybody, we're all just fine. In fact, the opposite was happening. And it happens today. Man's ways to live the easy way. To be their own king of their own little kingdom doing their own thing blind to the whole thing man's way to live is the popular way the populated way look at your bible in verse 13 enter by the narrow gate for that's reason number one for the gate is wide it's the blind natural way the way is easy it's the man's way to live is the hard, easy way and then that leads to destruction and those by enter it are many those by enter it, who enter by it are many. This is the populated way. It's the crowded way. It's the popular way. This is where most people are. And as I've already mentioned, all men enter life this way. Romans chapter 3 makes it very clear. Folks, we don't become sinners. We are born sinners. Romans chapter 3, and they mentioned this in Sunday school class this morning. Verse 10 It says, as it is written, no one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. In the sight of a holy God. A holy, holy, holy God. Who is not impressed by our outward law-keeping But as He goes through the Sermon on the Mount, He's saying He's concerned about the heart and our heart is wicked and not even one. He's not impressed by one of us. All men enter life that way. And most men continue living their life this way. This is Jesus' point right here. When He says in verse 13, those who enter it by it are many. All people enter life that way and... Most people stay that way. Most people never repent and never turn around, and it should break our hearts, and it should cause us to rejoice and praise God for our salvation. Amen. The miracle of our salvation. man's way to live, fourthly, leads to utter ruin in hell. Man's way to live lives leads to utter ruin in hell. I'm a child of the 80s and it may have been the late 70s or mid-80s when ACDC's heavy metal group uh, song. I didn't listen to ACDC. I listened to some other things, but I wouldn't listen to ACDC because I was a believer. And as a kid, whenever I heard about the song Highway to Hell, I've been raised in the church as a believer in Christ and I thought, I'm I'm just afraid to even listen to that song. It says living easy that's how the song starts off living easy the easy life living easy living free season ticket on a one way ride asking nothing leave me be taking everything in stride don't need any reason don't need any rhyme Ain't nothing good I would rather do. Going down, party time. My friends, you heard this before, my friends are all going to be there too. I'm on a highway to hell. Hey, Satan, paid my dues, playing in a rocking band. Hey, mama, look at me. I'm on my way to the promised land. I'm on a highway to hell. Don't stop me. And I'm going down, all the way down. I'm on a highway to hell. Now I don't think probably those ACDC guys, I don't know much about them, were probably Satan worshipers. But I know they were idolaters like every single one of us. And really, the lyrics come out in their song, they don't, most likely, don't even believe in hell and don't believe in Satan or they wouldn't sing such a song. But the lyrics simply reflect what's true about us. is that we have rebellious hearts. And we'd rather do what we want to do than what God wants us to do. We're idolaters. And Jesus is calling us to turn from it and to trust in Him. Notice what the Bible says here, folks, in verse 13. It says, The way is easy that leads to what? What's your Bible say? Does it lead to purgatory? Does it lead to God's just going to let us all go to heaven anyway because He loves everyone. No, it leads to destruction. If there's no entering in the narrow way which requires repentance, a repentant faith, not an easy believism, but a belief that says, I, I see Christ and I see the glory of what He's done. I see the ugliness of my sin. I don't want just fire insurance. I want Christ. And so, Lord, please, I don't deserve it. If I got what I deserve, I'd go to hell as somebody shared with me in my office this morning. But I want to, I want to follow Christ. <laughs> That's repentant faith. That's true saving faith. If that doesn't happen, destruction awaits. This destruction is no mere annihilation that has been taught by many. And it's not a popular topic, but this destruction is talking about a place called hell. Matthew chapter 25, I was reading in my own devotional time this morning, says this, Then He will say to those on His left, Depart from Me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. It's prepared for the devil and his angels, but those who are cursed, which is all of us, we're all under a curse unless we've trusted in Christ who became a curse for us. Then we we depart into eternal fire. That's the destruction. Verse 46 says this, and these will go away into eternal punishment. It's not a one and done thing. It's an eternal punishment. It's a punishment that continues forever where the worm dies not and there's gnashing of teeth. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. This is what awaits. A man's way to live leads to utter ruin in hell. And the horror and reality of this place called hell is really beyond our grasp if we really start to think about it. How is it? that if we believe in this doctrine called hell, eternal destruction, that as believers in Jesus Christ, we might come before God and say, oh God, thank you for saving my soul. Why should I ever complain about anything? The worst thing that can happen to me is not going to happen because of Jesus. And oh God, use me. To be a means through doing your sovereign and divine work to rescue the perishing who are on their way to hell. How can we not have evangelistic hearts? I'm so thankful to be in Sunday school this morning where one of the men spoke up and said how he was at a store this week and someone asked a question and it led naturally into a conversation about Christ and I'm thankful to be part of a church family where many of you have a missionary mindset and realize your mission field is wherever you're at, whether it's at the lake or whether it's at work or it's at the store getting something real quick. Wherever you're at, that's your mission field. And people need Christ. A man's way to live leads to destruction. Secondly and finally, man's, a holy God's way to live leads to life. A holy God's way to live leads to life. And you can see that right there in verse 14, can't you? God's way to live, in contrast to man's way to live being the blind natural way, God's way to live is the unnatural way. It requires seeing, spiritual sight, eyes of hearts being opened to this truth of the gospel. As John MacArthur says, you don't just stumble into the kingdom of God as a blind sinner and you accidentally stumble in and figure this out. Well, I'm on my way, but, you know, I figured this out. I I, I think what I need to do is turn to follow Jesus. That's just not going to happen. A blind, dead sinner living the easy life? It requires spiritual birth, being born again. John chapter 3, verse 5, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So that's why when we sing songs, some of these wonderful hymns and songs like we sung this morning about nothing but the blood of Jesus, this is all, this, Christ, His blood, this is all my righteousness we go and sing at the nursing home i go there once a month and take my guitar with me and jerry newkirk joins me and we always do nothing but the blood of jesus normally when we get to that one i really sing it as loud as i can because i especially want the nurses at the nursing station to hear and those who who are still with me you know to 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 listen you know that are that are there this is all my righteousness this is it I, i don't have anything right about me in fact I'm so unworthy that it took the blood of Jesus being shed to make me worthy. His blood is all my righteousness. Nothing can for sin atone. Nothing can forgive my sin. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And for those of us who love this truth and love this gospel, that's because God has done this spiritual work in our hearts. He's caused us to see... We should be eternally grateful that we have entered by his grace. That's the reason Jesus will be praised throughout all eternity for what he has done. He's brought his sheep home. God's way to live is the unnatural way, it requires seeing. God's way to live is the hard way, not the easy way. Notice what your Bible says again. In verse 14, For the gate is narrow and the way is hard. Some translations may use the word narrow again at that point, or another word. But it's a different word than the word for narrow gate earlier. The way is, it means hard. It means difficult. It means not easy. Back home, in East Tennessee, I grew up in a little town called Wartburg. And in my little hometown, there's a race, I think it's every year, called the Barkley Marathon. I don't know if you've heard of it or not, but a lot of, there's mountains all around where I live at. And uh, in 1976, James Earl Ray, who, who had assassinated Martin Luther King Jr., he was in prison there right up in the mountains, right where we lived at. He was in one of the there was two prisons in the county where I grew up in. and He escaped one time. My high school principal was the warden at the time, and he was one of them that helped capture him. And James Earl Ray, I think he took off for about, I don't know how long it was. I'll have to look here and see. Uh, he, he was gone for 55 hours. 55 hours. A little over two days and two nights in the mountains. With hound dogs after him, and he only got eight miles in fifty-five hours. And so, what inspired the Barkley Marathon was uh, a fella said he only got eight hours. He, he only got eight miles in fifty-five hours. I can do better than that. So they started the Barkley Marathon race. And so, if you want to just do a fun run, you come for a sixty-mile run. They do loops in the mountains, three loops, the same loop, twenty-something miles. That's the fun run, but if you want to do the real Barkley Marathon, Todd, it's hundred miles. And uh, if you pay the, it's it's real quirky. If you pay the one dollar and sixty cent entrance fee, and you're and you're received and you're into the marathon, then you receive a letter of condolence later on. It's a difficult race, is the point. There's a few people that are not in their right mind that do it each year. About this narrow road, it is the difficult, hard way. It, it's like, here's the interstate and here's the Barkley Marathon. Which way do you want to go? Well, I, I think that's pretty easy, pretty natural for me to say this. But did you realize... This way leads to life. When we talk about what Jesus is talking about here, He's talking, it's a difficult way, but it leads to life. Luke chapter 13, verse 23 and 24, listen carefully to what it says. Someone said to Him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And He said to them, Strive to enter the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Strive to enter the narrow door. There's an agonizing here that takes place. Acts chapter 14 verse 22 says about Paul and his associates that they went to the churches they had went, first went to, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. So this is not a work salvation. Well, I, I do all this and do all this and do all this. You don't, don't misunderstand that because certainly you could when you look at a passage of Scripture like this. You remember what Paul writes about justification by faith alone all in his letters. But it's a repentant faith. You you continue to repent each and every day. You persevere in faith. You endure in faith. You don't just sign a card that says, yeah, I want to get saved and, and never think about Christ again. That's nothing. It's a salvation that Changes everything. And it's difficult. It's difficult for me, brothers and sisters. Ups and downs, right? Sometimes you fall flat on your face because you've been foolish and you've sinned the same sin again. Sometimes you fall flat on your face And you cry out to God to help you because that's right where you need to be flat on your face for being arrogant trying to run this race on your own. It's a difficult way. That's why we need, the youth are getting ready to do this study called the Apostles' Creed study where they're going to learn what we believe and why we believe it. Because if you're seeking to enter this narrow gate or on this road that leads to eternal life, you need to know what you believe and why you believe it because you will have a Jehovah's Witness knock on your door or a Mormon or a conversation in college with somebody that's an atheist and they will trip you all to pieces if you don't know what you believe and why you believe it. You'll be questioning your faith if you're not already. God's way to live is the hard way. We need to disciple one another, not just baptize, but He said teach them as well thirdly god's way to live is the unpopular uncrowded way it says those who find it are few you see that in your bible in verse 14 those who find it are few why does it say find here you notice it doesn't say anything about finding destruction and i thought about that for a long time in my study this week why does it say find in relation to eternal life and nothing about finding destruction because nobody's trying to find destruction right right Everybody wants to find life, eternal life. Nobody wants to find destruction. We're told statistically that there's 56 million deaths per year. 56 million people die every year. Today, on average, today 153,000 people in the world will die. 106 people die every minute. Every second, almost two people in the world are dying. In the past hour, 6,300 people have died in the world. And those who found eternal life were few. Not very many. That's what it means. God's way to live is the unpopular, uncrowded way. Fourthly and finally, God's way to live leads to eternal life. There are some who look at verse 14 and might say, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. Talking about an abundant life here. You know, a good life here. And certainly I think there's some truth to that but certainly prosperity preachers run with that in a whole way it should never be ran to. It's talking about eternal life here folks. In comparison to destruction, not just a destructive life, we're talking about eternal punishment. This is eternal life. This is eternal joy. God's way to live leads to eternal life. So Jesus says, "I am the way, the truth and the life, and no one comes to the father but by me." And we see in John 3:16, "God loves the world, and whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life." This narrow way, this hard way, this belief in Christ, which is a free gift. In that sense, it seems so easy. Free. And so we present the gospel. It is free. It is a gracious gift. Repent. Trust in Jesus. You're, you'll be saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then, brother, if you're a brother, you're calling on the name of the Lord. Didn't we say to him, and you need to follow the Lord in baptism? And you need to be in a church because this this way that you say that you want is going to be hard. It's not going to be easy. In fact, it might get even harder. You need brothers and sisters around you. You need the church. It doesn't have to be a lonely way. You have the church for this. So I want you, as I close this, to hear God's appeal this morning. In verse 13... Jesus is the one speaking. It is God, God speaking in every word of this book. By the way, our God is the one who is saying, "Enter." The God who's been rebelled against, the God that we that we don't deserve, He's saying to you, "Enter." Isn't this a God? Isn't this some God, this gracious God, who's saying, "Enter"? Many of you have heard this message many times, similar messages like this, and you've not yet entered the narrow gate. And he's saying again to you, enter. How can a holy God allow sinful man to have life? You recall the two mountains, Mount Sinai, where God's giving the law. Then this mountain where Jesus is explaining how the law is to be lived out in relation to how he fulfills the law. And then there's another mountain called Mount Calvary. Jesus walked down that mountain where he gave His Sermon on the Mount. And he lived out what he told them to do. They couldn't do it, but He did it. And then He went up Mount Calvary and He was tortured and died and His blood was shed so He could be the substitute for our sin. And that's the gospel. So again, how do you enter by the narrow gate? The call to enter is a call to repent. Say, preacher, I, I want to know that I'm saved. I want to know that I have eternal life. And the Bible says you can know. It says it in 1 John. Just read your Bible. Put your faith and trust in Jesus and turn to Christ. Call upon Him and ask Him to give you that. To give you that desire to turn. If you have no concern, I don't know what I can say to you if you're really not concerned about it, but if this concerns you this morning, then call upon Him and say, Oh God, I'm not sure, but I, I want to be sure. Save my soul. Change my life. I would love to talk with you about that if if you're here today and you've got questions about salvation or about how to know if you're saved or questions about baptism. I'd love to talk with you. We can talk up here at the front, we can talk on your way out. Perhaps you know a mature Christian that you can get with, but I I know just know that I would like to talk with you about it. It's not necessary for you to, the first one you need to talk to is God and call it upon Him. Right now, right where you're sitting, right now, just in, without saying it even out loud, say, like, God save me. I, that's what I want. I want you. And then share it with us. Let's pray together. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for this good news, this gospel that that God, that though we are rebels and, and we... Are blind and with no desire for you, dead in our sin, uncaring, not even not even concerned about ourselves. Naturally, Lord, that God, you have give us, given us this gospel, this plan you had before the foundation of the world to save us. That you're this God who cries out, "Enter." that You have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Father, I pray that if there are those here among us who are not sure where they stand with You today, I pray that, I pray that they would know. I pray that You grant faith and repentance. I pray for my brothers and sisters that are here that You would grant each of us a, a fervor to persevere, to live out the standards of the kingdom for Your glory out of gratitude and thankfulness for what You've done, that You've rescued us on this road of perishing. And Lord, as we seek to live this life, that we would be salt and light in the world, that we would seek to rescue those who are perishing by telling them the good news of Christ. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand and sing this hymn. I believe it's, He Will Hold Me Fast. And as we stand and sing, as I've already mentioned, if you'd like to come and pray during this time here by yourself, or come and I'll pray with you, talk with you. Anything at all that you need to do right now, you, you do it. Otherwise, let's stand and let's, let's sing this prayer and acknowledgement of our dependence upon God together this
1: morning for His glory. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast When the tempter would prevail He will hold me fast I could never keep my hold Through life's fearful path For my love is often cold He must hold me fast He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. Those He saves are His delight. Christ will hold me fast. Precious in His holy sight, He will hold me fast. He'll not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last, but by Him at such a cost, He will hold me he will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Saviour loves me so. He will hold me fast. For my life he bled and died. Christ will hold me fast Justice has been satisfied He will hold me fast Raised with Him to endless life He will hold me fast Till our faith is turned to sight When He comes at last he will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. If you would, and I want
0: to ask Anthony and Carissa Kincart to come up here this morning. Anthony and Carissa and uh, their children, Josiah and Connor and oh man i had to write it down uh libby <laughs> i told you i'd freeze up they, they've been coming to our church i don't know five or six years before i before i've ever been here and uh and as they've been they've been gradually getting involved and serving in our church and and uh, but but hadn't joined up to this point so we we uh we talked about that some this morning and talked about the gospel and their conversion experiences and and uh and they, uh, Carissa was telling me that she said it wasn't until we got involved in Sunday school that we really felt like we were starting to be connected and that we needed to join. Before that, we didn't feel like we needed to become members. And so, God used Sunday school or small group involvement to get them to feeling closer to the church and feeling like, hey, we, we, we do want to be part of this church and commit here. So, I'm so thankful, aren't you, that they want to become members of our church family. We're, we're glad to have them here. Uh, they're going to join me at the back after we pray. I'm going to ask Todd. I think, Todd, you're going to come and pray for us. And after he prays, you guys come by and, and welcome them and, and their family here with us. And, and at a later at the business meeting, we'll be voting on them as uh, members of our church by statement of faith. All right. Brother Todd, would you close in prayer?
2: Sure. Father, I just Let's thank you uh, for our church family and for the encouragement that we get to uh, gather together as Brothers and sisters in Christ, thank you for your word this morning that reminds us of our urgency uh, to to uh, share the good news of, of Jesus and for what He's done for each of us with with those we come in contact with. Us just help us uh, help remind each of us this day, each day this week, uh, to be on mission for you. In that, I just pray these things in Jesus' name. What is the gospel? It all begins with God. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. God created the first man, Adam, and the first woman, Eve, to rule over the garden. God told them they could eat from any tree that they wanted to in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Everything was perfect in the garden. They had a perfect relationship with the land, a perfect relationship with each other, a perfect relationship with God. Until they chose to rebel against God and eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it brought about separation between them and God. Man has always tried to bridge the separation on his own terms and in his own strength. Whether it's building a ladder of morality and trying to be good enough for God, or even in the Old Testament example, when men built a tower into the heavens trying to reach God on their own. A more contemporary example comes from 1961, when the Russians were first successful in sending a man into outer space. Upon returning, the Russian cosmonaut remarked, We've been to space, and we didn't find God or heaven there. A popular professor and author, C.S. Lewis, responded to the Russian cosmonaut. He said that looking for God in outer space is kind of like Hamlet, one of the characters in Shakespeare's plays, looking for Shakespeare in the attic of his home. Lewis said that for Hamlet to have a relationship with Shakespeare, Shakespeare would literally have to write himself into the story. That is the gospel. The Bible says, For God so loved the world, that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The gospel is the account of God writing himself into human history. Almost 2,000 years ago, the Bible says that Jesus, in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies, was born of a virgin. Even as a child, he lived a perfect life at the age of 30 he began his public ministry he attracted followers for three years he taught he healed and he made bold claims such as saying that he alone was the only way to God the religious and political leaders did not like these teachings they invoked a riot against Jesus they brought about false accusations leading to a trial and to a sentencing of death by public crucifixion the Bible says that while Jesus hung on the cross that God placed all of the sin of all of mankind on Jesus Jesus hung on the cross as our substitute God made him Who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. They took Jesus down from the cross and they put him in a tomb. They rolled a large stone at the entrance of the tomb so no one could get in or out. There were Roman soldiers who were posted on guard to keep people from coming to take Jesus' body. But on the third day, according to Scripture, he rose again. After being seen by many eyewitnesses and giving instruction to his followers, he ascended back into the heaven where he now sits at the right hand of God and serves as our advocate before the Father. So what does this have to do with you? The Bible says that we have all sinned and that we all fall short of God's standard of holiness. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is no way to get rid of the burden of sin on our own. God calls all men everywhere to believe in Christ, repent of sins, and trust Christ to live a new life. As we look back and believe in what God has done through the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection, as we repent and turn from our sins, as we trust Jesus as our Savior and Lord, we have peace with God and the forgiveness of sins. So let's review. It all begins with God. Because of our sin, we are separated from God. The Gospel is the account of God writing Himself into human history. Jesus died in our place for our sins and rose again on the third day. As we believe in Christ, repent from our sins, and trust Jesus for new life, we have peace with God and forgiveness of sins. That is the Gospel.